Good morning, everyone, or depending on where you are, good afternoon, and even good evening if you're listening on the far side of the world. This is John Martinoni, and you're listening to Balaam's Ride, the edge of Catholic radio, here on WQOH 1480 AM in Birmingham, or perhaps online at queenofheavenradio.com. And you might even be taking advantage of the app that you can download uh, from our website. If you go to queenofheavenradio.com, download the uh, uh, app for the mobile device. And uh, once you get your radio app, just do a search on WQOH and you'll be good to go. But however you're listening to us right now, we appreciate you being here. And wanted to let you know that if you want to be a part of the program today, you can do so by either emailing me. John, J-O-H-N, at BibleChristianSociety.com, John at BibleChristianSociety.com, or calling us at 205-714-7014, 205-714-7014. Today's program, going to... Don't necessarily have one particular topic to talk about, uh, maybe a hodgepodge of stuff here. Just a few things I've got to, in the uh, this pile of papers here, and uh, uh, maybe who knows what will pop in my head. But the first thing I wanted to start off with <clears throat> excuse me, is I um, wanted to talk about this article that I came across. It uh, was in America Magazine. Well, actually, the article I'm looking at was from Catholic World News, speaking about an article in America Magazine. And this was back, I believe, in October. And uh, the title of the article from Catholic World News is uh, Prelate, Poverty Must Join Abortion at Top of Church's Political Agenda. Let me read a little of this to you and then we'll comment. Writing in America Magazine, Auxiliary Bishop Robert McElroy of San Francisco argued that the church in the United States, quote, must elevate the issue of poverty to the very top of its political agenda, establishing poverty alongside abortion as the preeminent moral issues the Catholic community pursues at this moment in our nation's history, end quote. Well, let me continue the quote. Both abortion and poverty countenance the death of millions of children in a world where government action could end the slaughter, he continued. Both abortion and poverty, each in its own way and to its own degree, constitute an assault on the very core of the dignity of the human person, instrumentalizing life as part of a throwaway culture. The cry of the unborn and the cry of the poor must be at the core of Catholic political conversation in the coming years, because these realities dwarf other threats to human life and dignity that confront us today. Continuing on with his with uh, Auxiliary Bishop Robert McElroy of San Francisco's quote, Choices by citizens or public officials that systematically and therefore unjustly decrease governmental financial support for the poor clearly reject core Catholic teachings on poverty and economic justice, he added. Policy decisions that reduce development assistance to the poorest countries reject core Catholic teachings. Tax policies that increase rather than decrease inequalities reject core Catholic teachings. End quote. And I'll stop there. Um, and this is what I want to, you know, in essence, uh, 
you know, don't really have a pro- I don't really have a problem with most of what the bishop says here. Uh, poverty does result in millions of lives being lost, children's lives, adults' lives. Uh, poverty, uh, you know, takes many, many years off of a person's lifespan that they otherwise would live if they had uh, decent sustenance, decent housing, uh, access to decent medical care, and so forth. And the church teaches us, as Jesus Christ himself, the head of the body, which is the church, teaches us in Matthew 25, for I was hungry and you fed me, I was naked and you clothed me, uh, I was sick and you visited me, and so forth. So an agenda that puts poverty and caring for the poor at the very top, along with uh, killing the killing of unborn children as well, um, got no problem with that. The problem I have with this, and this is where I want to maybe uh, spark some conversation and emails or calls if, for, uh, if, if you feel so uh, moved to join in the conversation today, is that uh, this, the last couple sentences that I quoted, choices by citizens or public officials that systematically and therefore unjustly decrease government financial support for the poor – clearly reject core Catholic teachings on poverty and economic justice. And then he goes on to say, policy decisions that reduce development assistance to the poorest countries reject core Catholic teachings. Tax policies that increase rather than decrease inequalities reject core Catholic teachings. I've got to disagree with him on this because I can agree that poverty needs to be addressed and that it needs to be, as he says, at the top of uh, along with abortion at the top of uh, any social justice campaign and concerns of Catholics and the Catholic Church. However, the methodology in addressing poverty and remedying poverty, although you will never truly get rid of all poverty because as Christ himself tells us, the poor you will always have with you. So if Jesus said it, if it's in Scripture, I tend to believe that and uh, for, for various reasons, but mostly because we have a fallen nature. And so uh, we will probably never in this lifetime rise to the point where as a human society, as a whole human society, we're able to eliminate uh, the poor, the, the, the situation of the poor, the poverty. So – Question is, though, how do you go about doing that? What's the best way of going about doing that? And can people of goodwill, people who want to help the poor, want to reduce the levels of poverty and, and would love to eliminate poverty altogether, regardless of whether they're Democrat, Libertarian, Republican, or have no political leanings, regardless of whether they're Catholic or not Catholic, or whether they, they – believe in God, don't believe in God, can they, if they all have the same goal, but they approach it from different uh, avenues, it, it, does that make one evil? Because he believes in uh, tax policies that the, uh, our, that the bishop here would call, uh, would say, reject core Catholic teachings, or because he believes in reducing the support of government 
particularly the federal government, for the poor, not because he wants to reduce the money that goes to the poor, but he believes that by uh, keeping the poor hooked to the government, you'll never be able to better their situation. You know, there's such a thing as the, the, the safety net, social safety net. That's one thing. But to have people continually, you know, intravenously feeding from the government trough is not good for those people is what a lot of folks believe. And I am among them. You know, I worked for several years with a Salesian organization. Uh, we had a couple of youth oratories, a free food pantry, free furniture warehouse, a free medical and legal clinic, a number of other programs designed to help lift people up out of poverty or to give them a, a little safety net for when they were you know, having problems with the free food and the free furniture and so forth. And it uh, uh, slowly dawned on me that government interference in the lives of these folks was hurting, in many cases, more than it was helping. Uh, government policies that uh, um, favor people not being married, that penalize you basically if you get married. If you have two people on welfare and if they get married, well, now their combined welfare uh, income has gone over the level that the government sets for, hey, you can't earn a penny over this or you get your benefits cut. And therefore, uh, the benefits of both of them get cut. Well, now they've got no money at all because why because they got married well you've got you've got to address inequalities like that or situations like that where maybe hey um you know i've always thought why not just you know instead of having a level let's say ten thousand dollars that's an easy i don't know if that's the level or not but uh, i know there used to be a level that if you earned more money than this particular level let's say again ten thousand dollars if you earn ten thousand dollars ten thousand and one dollars then if you were getting say forty five hundred dollars a year in food stamps those would be cut off uh, if you were receiving uh, x amount of dollars in rental assistance that would be cut off if you went above this earning plateau so you didn't have an incentive to go out and get a job you didn't have an incentive to earn more because once you earned a dollar above that limit then you could lose thousands and thousands of dollars of benefits from the government. So in other words, the government was disincentivizing people and still is uh, when it comes to uh, going out and getting work because of the way they've got the program set up. I've always thought, you know, instead of saying, okay, at $10,000, $10,001, everything's cut off, why don't you cut $1 of benefits for every $2 that they earn above the limit. So if they're getting $10,000 in benefits and they go out and earn $10,000, they've got basically an income of $20,000, which in today's world isn't a whole lot. But let's say they want to start earning, more, get a job to earn more money, they get a job that pays them $12,000. Well, instead of having the whole $10,000 cut from them, they would just have a thousand dollars cut for them, so they'd still be earning so twelve thousand plus now nine thousand. So they've increased their total household income, but they've decreased their reliance on the government. And then they get a better job that pays them, say, 
14,000. Well, now they're getting 14,000 from the the uh, private sector and they've dropped down to 8,000 from the government sector. But they're still earning more in total and slowly wean them off instead of cutting them off just uh, you know willy-nilly just zero after you know you earn $1 more and you get zero of these benefits. That way you give them an incentive to go out and get a job, go out and earn more, maybe uh, help them get a little assistance to go to school or job training program to where they can get the better job. Whereas before they didn't have any incentive to do that because they knew that, well, if I earn more than this amount, everything gets taken away from me. So in many respects... Bishop Robert Mil- McElroy of San Francisco, when he's writing about this, when he says choices by citizens or public officials that systematically and therefore unjustly decrease financial support for the poor, I don't know why that's necessarily unjust if you're doing it the right way. And if you're doing it in such a way that you're creating more jobs so that the poor can get out and work and earn more money. There is dignity in work. Everybody knows that. When you have a job, even if it's a lousy job, it's better than not having a job. There's a certain dignity in work, whether you're digging ditches, whether you're working as a secretary, a doctor, lawyer, banker, uh, whatever it might be. There is dignity in work. And to do something to carry out financial policies or fiscal policies, political policies that possibly cut the poor's reliance on government while at the same time creating jobs, having the private sector, uh, you know, less taxes out of the private sector. So the private sector has more money for to do what? To invest, you know, business owners can reinvest in their business, um, Stockholders who are getting dividends from companies can reinvest more, buy more stock, give that those companies more money to grow, to expand, to hire more people. And the other issue here is the deficit. What about the deficit? Is that a moral issue? I think it is. But we're going to talk about that more on the other side of this break. You're listening to Balaam's Ride, and this is John Martinoni. And you're listening on WQOH AM 1480 in Birmingham or online at queenofheavenradio.com. We hope you'll stay with us. We'll be right back. If you have a car, truck, or some other vehicle that you don't want anymore, but you still think it's worth something, why not donate it to WQOH, Queen of Heaven Radio. We accept most vehicles from cars to boats to motorcycles and turn the gift into support for all the great Catholic programming you love. And it's a great tax write-off, too. Just log online to queenofheavenradio.com for more details or call 1-866-628-2277. Donate today. This is Father Michael Deering, spiritual director to Queen of Heaven Catholic Radio. Let's take a moment to pray for those who may be questioning their faith. Let's say a prayer to the Holy Spirit. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful, and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit 
and they shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Let us pray. O God, who did instruct the hearts of the faithful by the light of the Holy Spirit, grant that by the gift of the same Spirit we may be always truly wise and ever rejoice in his consolation. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hedonic care in a unique setting that is fun, warm, and comfortable. Oxmoor Valley Orthodontics, 415 West Oxmoor Road, 942-2270. Hi folks, Patrick Crabtree here with Crabtree Computer Services in Vestavia. By now you know that we at Crabtree can handle any of your computer and technology needs for a low cost with fast and friendly service. But instead of listening to me, why don't you hear it from our customers? This is Dr. Peter Van Hoy. I'm a plastic surgeon at Premier Plastic Surgery in Birmingham. We've been using Crabtree Computer Services for over eight years for all of our technology needs. They service our PCs, our servers, and our backups. They also manage our website for Google Marketing. Patrick and his staff are knowledgeable, courteous, and fast. I highly recommend Crabtree Computer Services. They've done a terrific job for us. So give Crabtree Computer Services a call for your next computer or technology need at 205 205- Five eight two four seven seven two two. That's two zero five eight two four seven seven two two. Or come see us on Highway thirty one in Vestavia, just across from Mark's Outdoor Sports. We guarantee our work, and we guarantee your satisfaction. All right, we're back talking about, uh, I guess, in general, you could call it Catholic social doctrine and how it applies to. Uh, uh, government assistance of the poor, and, and this statement by Auxiliary Bishop Robert McElroy of San Francisco in uh, America Magazine back in, I believe it was October, possibly September, where he said, quote, choices by citizens or public officials that systematically and therefore unjustly decrease government financial support for the poor clearly reject core Catholic teachings on poverty and economic justice. And again, um, I've got to strongly disagree with the wording here of Bishop McElroy because, uh, um, as we've been talking about, I, I worked with the poor for several years uh, with with the Salesians, and I saw how destructive the government can be when it gets its fingers into uh, your family into your bank account, into your checkbook, or you now rely on the government to have any kind of income whatsoever, to have uh, food, to have clothing, to have um, a, a place to live, and so on. And again, I'm not saying just do away with programs for the poor altogether. Don't take me to be saying that. I'm not. There is a place for government in the social welfare system, there is a place for a uh, social welfare safety net for people who have temporarily fallen upon hard times. And maybe for people who uh, are truly disabled to the point that they can't work at all or they've, you know, something's happened to where they can't work. But um, to just keep people on the welfare rolls for year after year after year to give them no incentive to go out and work, to actually disincentivize 
them from going out and working, from finding a job, to making more and more people dependent upon government, that is just not good. It's not good for the government. It's not good for the people. It's not good for the folks paying taxes. It's not good for the folks receiving the benefits for that to be a long-term situation. Furthermore, as I mentioned right before the break, what about the deficit? You know, right now, we have a $17 trillion national debt, and that's just what's on the books. <clears throat> Excuse me. I have read articles from different people where there are estimates that we have unfunded liabilities. In other words, liabilities that people have no idea where the money to pay for these things is going to come from. Unfunded liabilities totaling 90 to $100 trillion or more. When they look at uh, what's going to happen in the next 10, 15, 20 years with the aging population here in the United States and having to pay out for uh, Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, um, all of these now, now the uh, Affordable Health Care Act, also known as Obamacare, that these are just adding trillions and trillions of unfunded liabilities to the government. And so at some point in time, the government, we're going to get to be like Greece was uh, what, last year, the year before, where they simply could not pay their bills. They were essentially bankrupt. You had rioting in the streets. You may have more rioting in the streets in the future over there. Don't know. But uh, that's what one thing that I wish our Catholic bishops, especially here in the United States, would address at the USCCB meetings. The deficit. Is the deficit a moral problem? Is it a moral question? I say yes, it is. I say this $17 trillion and growing deficit and possibly a, an unfunded liability of 90 to $100 trillion is a moral liability, not just a financial liability. Because what we're doing here is we are mortgaging the future futures of our children and grandchildren. You know, that's what's going on. So, um, you know, we've got, you know, thank you, my engineer has pointed out to me, we've got a uh, uh, debt of $17 trillion. The deficit each year is, I think, a few hundred billion, uh, although it's been over a trillion a couple times. But total debt, uh, the deficits for each of the last, I don't know how many years, and this is Republican and Democrat governments, uh, running up the uh, the deficit and the debt. But uh, the annual deficits have contributed to our $17 trillion plus national debt. And that is, to me, uh, morally wrong. And it's a moral situation, a moral question that we have not been addressing in the Catholic Church. You've heard a number of people in the political sphere addressing it, but I think it's time for our bishops to stand up and start talking about it. So you've got to weigh, all right, well, 
you know, this Archbishop uh, or, or Auxiliary Bishop Robert McElroy of San Francisco saying, well, if you cut money from the budget for the poor and for programs for the poor, he said you are essentially rejecting core Catholic teachings on poverty and economic justice. Well, but what if in order to – what if cutting those programs means that you're also cutting the deficit each year? And you wind up being able to cut the debt, the overall debt of the country, and not burden our children and grandchildren with such an incredible debt. Uh, Isn't that moral, to not burden our children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren with this incredible debt that we have? That's a moral thing to do. So how do you balance out the two? Yes, we need to feed the hungry, clothe the naked, and so forth. But the question is, is what happens when you run out of money and you have all these people hooked on government assistance rather than out there working at jobs, caring for themselves, caring for their own families instead of relying on the government to do that? What happens then? Is that moral to put people in that kind of position? I don't think so. So I've got to uh, strongly disagree here with uh, Bishop McElroy. Now, I agree with him, that poverty is a priority issue, as is abortion, and that poverty causes uh, a lot of death, as does abortion. Poverty cuts short a lot of lives, as does abortion. But the thing is, is, is it the government's role to pay for all of these programs? Where in the Constitution is that? Um, and, and, you know, this winds up being, it, it looks to me a lot like, well, politicians in Washington voting more and more people, more and more money, they're essentially buying their votes. Whether they're Republican doing it or Democrat doing it, they are buying votes with our tax money to keep themselves in office. Because as, as you and I both know, the majority of the politicians up there in Washington on either side of the aisle – they might go up there with uh, you know, these great ideas, grand ideas, serve the public, uh, help people, solve problems. But sooner or later, for most of them, I'm not going to say all of them, but it appears that most of them, the number one priority becomes getting reelected. You know, instead of doing what's right, they want to do whatever it is that gets them reelected. Instead of asking, is this the right thing for the country? Is this the right thing for my constituents? They say, is this the right thing to get me reelected? Is this the right thing for me to get money from people so I can put advertisements on TV and get me reelected? It's a sad situation we've got in D.C. right now and in many of our state houses as well. You know, and money in, in politics is just, uh, I guess it's a necessary evil, but uh, it seems to just really, really corrupt a lot of folks. So again, back to the deficit. It's a moral question. I think the USCCB needs to start talking about it, and we need to start realizing that we can't just keep giving more and more money to more and more people to not work. It just doesn't work out that way, and you can't take more and more taxes from more and more people and expect that they'll then go out and spend more money to stimulate the economy, to grow businesses, and and uh, so that the businesses then, then can hire more people to work 
and support their families. The other thing, the last thing I want to touch on is Social Security. Again, why did government get involved with this? And it's grown way beyond. You know, why government got involved? Because, hey, it's a good thing to take care of people, right? Again, feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, the elderly who didn't have children to support them. What were they doing? Well, this was a social safety net for uh, the elderly when it first came on, for some of the elderly when it first came into being. But as any government program, politicians see it, hey, you know, if I get more money in there and give more money to more people, then they'll vote for me. I'll get a lot of votes. I'll get to stay in office. Let's talk more about Social Security here after this break. You're listening to John Martinoni and Balaam's Ride, the edge of Catholic radio on WQOH 1480 AM in Birmingham, Alabama, and online from anywhere in the world at queenofheavenradio.com. We'll be right back. This is Father Michael Deering, spiritual director to Queen of Heaven Catholic Radio. Let's take a moment to pray for those who may be battling an addiction. Let's pray the Hail Mary. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hello, football fans. Well, Alabama may have four-leaf clobbered my iris, but listen here. You know, every football season, people ask me the same old question. Coach, what can I do to be a better Catholic? Well, let me tell you something. If there's one thing I learned while coaching Notre Dame to a national championship, it's one thing. Charity. You gotta give of yourself. And one of the ways that you can do this is if you own a car, a boat, or any other vehicle, is to log online to queenofheavenradio.com or call 1-866-628-2277. Again, that's 1-866-628-2277. It's a lot easier than winning a national championship. It's a tax-deductible donation, and it helps keep your Catholic radio station on the air. Notre Dame or a pro nobis. We're here today to ask people about marriage. For starters, what's the best thing about being married? Who I get to stay married to. <laughs> Togetherness. To me, is having a companion. My favorite thing about being married is that I have a partner. Do you think your marriage is good for more than just the two of you? Uh, Does it influence those around us? Yeah, I think. In a positive way? I think so. I would hope that people would see that uh, when we're together that we really have a very true affection for each other. What everybody wants, and we know we're lucky to have it. The energy we give out in our home, I think, spreads out to other people. Your marriage just continues to go on and on and on. Oh, sure, and affect generations after us. I think it really sort of stabilizes your whole community. It's a cornerstone of a society, right? Sounds like a good marriage goes a long way. 
It touches a lot of people. Want to improve your marriage? For ideas, go to foryourmarriage.org. A message from the Catholic Church. this music. All right, John Martinoni here. Welcome back. You're listening to Balaam's Ride on WQOH 1480 AM. That's in uh, Irondale, Alabama, just outside of Birmingham. Or you're listening online at queenofheavenradio.com. Queenofheavenradio.com. Been talking uh, so far today about uh, this this uh, article in America Magazine that Auxiliary Bishop Robert McElroy of San Francisco wrote back in, uh, I think, October, and where he basically says, uh, you know, if you do something tax-wise, that if, you, if you're in favor of tax policies or vote for tax policies that increase rather than decrease inequalities that that reje- in, in uh, income, then you're rejecting core Catholic teachings. And I'm saying not necessarily so, particularly on this. If you follow tax policies that make the rich richer, but also make the poor richer, at least better their ability or their situations and enable them to be able to find more jobs, then even if the rich are getting richer, that's a good thing. Even if the um, the inequality between rich and poor grows – as long as the poor are coming up and their income is growing and they're being able to do better, they're being able to find jobs to support themselves and their families, that's a good thing. Uh, furthermore, he said that uh, um, choices by citizens or public officials that systematically decrease government financial support for the poor reject core Catholic teachings on poverty and economic justice and says they are unjust which, again, I've been disagreeing because uh, um, while, yes, it's a good thing to take care of the poor, we're called to take care of the poor. When I read Matthew 25 and it says, for I was hungry and you fed me, I was naked and you clothed me, I don't, I don't see it where it says, for I was hungry and you voted for a tax increase so that the government could give me more money to feed me. I was naked and you voted for a tax increase so that the government could give me more money to clothe me. I don't see it in there. See, this is the thing. This is what I'm going to get into with Social Security here in a minute. Is It seems to me, and I, I realize I'm a simple-minded boy from Alabama, but it seems to me that government has more and more been usurping the role of the church. And the church, at least here in the United States, has been sitting back and, for the most part, letting them do that. Social Security, growing and growing, taking care of more and more people. Well, what's Social Security allowing? It's allowing people to have fewer children. Why? Because they don't need their children to take care of them in their old age. They don't need to spread out the burden of care for uh, mom and dad over four, five, six, seven, eight kids because now the government will take care of you in your old age. So you don't need to have all of those kids. So you can go ahead and contracept and abort and sterilize. 
You don't need kids to take care of you in your old age because the government is now your family. The government is now the church that is going to clothe the naked, feed the hungry, and and care for the sick. Not the church, not the Catholic church, not the Christian church. Uh, that's, That's what's going on with Social Security, with Medicare, Medicaid, uh, with all of these things. And again, I'm not saying there isn't a role for government. There is. But I think it's a much more limited role than what we currently have today. And I think the church should have a much bigger role in this. The church, again, abdicating its position, its role, its its function in, in feeding the hungry and clothing the naked to the government. And just standing by and saying, you guys do it. Now, not entirely, obviously, as we we have Catholic hospitals, although many Catholic hospitals really aren't that Catholic anymore. And we have Catholic social services that do a lot of good work for the poor. But we're not doing nearly as much as we could be doing. We're not doing nearly as much as we should be doing. And if more people had more money in their pockets and they could give more money to the church to care for the poor, we could be doing a lot more. So, again, I just feel like uh, government is usurping more and more the role of the church. And the church kind of just didn't realize it. Maybe hasn't realized it yet. I don't know what's going on there. But Social Security, again... Because you have Social Security, because you have the government taking care of the elderly, because you have the government now taking care of of the widows, of the orphans, of the children, of people from, you know, government is womb to tomb now almost. Although I won't say womb to tomb because government doesn't want any babies in the womb. Uh, They're in support. They're in favor of abortion for the most part. So from birth to death, the government wants to take care of you wants to be your family, wants to be your church. And what's again, that, that allows a lot of people to not have big families. Because why? They don't have to rely on their family when they're older. They've got the government. So there are a lot of negative social consequences that flow from government growing in power and influence and in government usurping more and more the role of the church when it comes to issues of poverty and social justice. A lot of negative issues that fall out from that. Anyway, um, if you're interested, shoot me an email. Even if you uh listening to this on the podcast, once we get it up on our website, and you want to have me revisit this issue at a later time, be happy to do that. Send in your emails or... Uh, if you've got a phone call, if you're listening right now, want to call in, the number to call is 205-714-7014, 205-714-7014. Um, and this is something, you know, this is uh, related, not uh, necessarily directly on that same topic, but let's let's move around a little bit. This is from the New Oxford Review of October 2012, and basically they said back then, the moral authority of the Catholic bishops today is truly suspect insofar as non-Catholics and even some Catholics are concerned. The infighting among Catholic theologians about what is and is not Catholic teaching, 
not to mention the false and disgraceful public statements about Catholic teaching by prominent yet ill-formed Catholic politicians, leave serious doubt about how unified and effective the church can ever be as an army that knows its enemy and knows how to fight without being divided and conquered. And I think uh, they could also say that uh, what I would consider ill-advised statements from leaders of the church, the bishops, priests, uh, others, who are, are, you know, put people who have agree in principle that poverty is a major, major issue that needs the concern of Catholics individually and corporately as as the Catholic Church in their parishes and dioceses and worldwide, but maybe disagree on the best way to approach these issues. And to go around saying that, you know, if someone disagrees on the issue as you see it and they disagree on the best way to address the issue, that they therefore are rejecting core Catholic teachings and that they therefore are being unjust – um, I just don't. I don't think that uh, gets us where we want to be. I don't think that helps the dialogue along at all. So, all right. Um, a few other things I want to get to today. And again, be happy to take your emails on this topic whenever you're listening to this program. Uh, whether you're listening right now and want to think about it a little while and shoot me an email. Or you're listening via the podcast, you say, wait a minute, John, I, I, I disagree with you, or I agree, whatever you want to do, shoot me an email, john at biblechristiansociety.com. And if you're listening live, you can shoot me an email right now if you've got a, a question or comment you want to go out over the air, john at biblechristiansociety.com. There was something, this this was back, um, I'm looking at a uh, article here from July 30th of this past year, and this is on uh, the NewAmerican.com website. And I found this just absolutely, well, fascinating, but uh, fascinating in a negative way. I I was actually stunned by this, Um, and I didn't believe it at first until I heard it with my own ears from folks at my uh, children's school. So, let me, let me read a little bit. The article, Wednesday, 17 July, 2013, from the com. Alabama adopts race-based standards for school students. Parents of black or Hispanic students in Alabama public schools be forewarned. The state, with the backing of the Obama administration, doesn't think your children can or will, for the foreseeable future, perform as well as white or Asian kids. In fact, these governments are so sure your kids are inferior that they're setting achievement standards for them far below those of other students. Beginning this fall, reported the Tuscaloosa News, Alabama public schools will be under a new state-created academic accountability system that sets different goals for students in math and reading based on their race, economic status, ability to speak English, and disabilities. The new system, called Plan 2020, quote, sets a different standard for students in each of several subgroups, American Indian, Asian Pacific Islander, Black, English language learners, Hispanic, multi-race, poverty, special education, and white, the paper explained. In math, reading, and graduation rates, the categories Plan 2020 examines, 
Students who are special needs in poverty, Hispanic, black, and English language learners have the lowest starting achievement goals of all subgroups in every grade. And I'll get more into this in a minute. We've got to take a break now. When we come back, more about Alabama adopts race-based standards for school students and how you never heard anybody um, harping on this or protesting this. This is John Martinoni, and you're listening to Balaam's Ride, the edge of Catholic radio on AM 1480 in Birmingham or online at queenofheavenradio.com. We'll be back after these messages. This is Father Michael Deering, spiritual director to Queen of Heaven Catholic Radio. Let's take a moment to pray for those who may be suffering hardship in the current economy. Let's pray the Our Father. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Did you know that the license tag on your car could save a life? Purchase a Choose Life tag for your car and help a local crisis pregnancy center in your county. By purchasing a Choose Life tag, you not only will have a rolling billboard on your car that promotes life, but 100% of the funds help your local pregnancy center provide free services to those women facing a crisis pregnancy. So get your Choose Life license tag and join thousands of others who are promoting life in our state. For more information, go to ChooseLifeAlabama.org. And thank you for choosing life. Hi, folks. Patrick Crabtree here with Crabtree Computer Services in Vestavia. By now, you know that we at Crabtree can handle any of your computer and technology needs for a low cost with fast and friendly service. But instead of listening to me, why don't you hear it from our customers? My name's John Herod, and I've been a very satisfied customer with Crabtree for the past three years. I have their Forget About It plan for my home PC, where for one low monthly fee, Crabtree monitors my PC for remote and keeps it updated and running really fast. And whenever I have any problem at all, and I've had my share, I call them, and they come in from remote and fix it right then and there. If they can't fix it from remote, they come on site and fix it for free. Crabtree does a great job. So give Crabtree Computer Services a call for your next computer or technology need at 205-824-7722. That's 205-824-7722. Or come see us on Highway 31 in Vestavia, just across from Mark's Outdoor Sports. We guarantee our work, and we guarantee your satisfaction. Frankie's Market Cafe, 4257 Highway 52 in Helena, your home for home-cooked meats and signature veggies. Fresh fried catfish, beef tips over rice, squash casserole, and fried green tomatoes, just to name a few. Also featuring deli sandwiches, catering, southern fried pies made daily, private label jams and jellies, and local honey. Also a fresh produce department from local growers. Frankie's Market Cafe, 4257 Highway 52, Helena. All right, welcome back. This is John Martinoni. Program is Balaam's Ride. 
And if you want to be a part of the program, well, you only have about a few minutes to do that. You can email me, john at biblechristiansociety.com, or give us a quick call at 205-714-7014. And uh, you can be on with a comment about what we've been talking about uh, so far. And I'll get more into this Alabama Adopts Race-Based Standards from uh, standards for school students, but first this. Now we pause for the Orson Welles War of the Worlds News Bulletin. In a recent press release, a Planned Parenthood spokesperson said that the organization recognizes that its founder, Margaret Sanger, was a racist and eugenicist and that Planned Parenthood was formally apologizing for the views of its founder. The spokesperson went on to say that no one could accuse Planned Parenthood of being racist today, as we are, quote, just as happy killing a white baby as we are killing a black baby. Okay, back to Alabama adopts race-based standards for school students. Again, this is something that I didn't hear a peep from anybody about this on television, from any of the news programs, anything. And I couldn't believe it when I heard it. Um, what they're saying in this, these new standards, for a school to meet state standards, 93.6% of its third graders classified as Asian Pacific Islander must pass math. White students are not too far behind. The, the state requires 91.5% of them to pass for the school to meet its standards. But... Only 90.3% of American Indian students are required to pass, 89.4% of multiracial students, 85.5% of Hispanic students. Then comes in poverty, 82.6% of poor students are required to pass, those who are still learning English, 79.6%, and blacks come in next to last with the state requiring a mere 79% of them to make the grade. Only special needs students are expected to perform worse than blacks. Oh, that, and I didn't hear anything from anybody. Basically, the school has said, or the, the state has said, and the school systems have said, that blacks cannot do as well as whites. Blacks cannot do as well even as Hispanics. Blacks cannot do as well as even those who are still learning English. And nobody raised a whimper. If this isn't racist, I don't know what is. And if this isn't lowering expectations on your children, I don't know what is. I mean, I've always been taught, if you expect less of a child, you will get less. If you expect more, you will get more. So by lowering expectations... It's they. It looks like well, the state's trying to do blacks a favor by lowering expectations, not requiring them to be as smart as whites or as Hispanics, and definitely not as smart as Asian slash Pacific Islanders. That you're doing black children a favor? No. Basically, you're giving teachers an incentive to to not focus as much on the black children because you only need what. Uh, 70, what, 79% of them to make the grade. 
whereas you need 91 point something percent of white students to make the grade and 93.6 percent of the Asian slash Pacific Islanders to make the grade. This is ridiculous. Plus, the fact of the matter is, they're also lowering the scores as to what is and is not an A for the different students, as I understand it. That, uh, um, you know, if you're an Asian Pacific Islander, an A is this score. If you're white, an A is this score, a little bit lower. Hispanic, your score for an A is low. But that was something else I read somewhere. And I, I couldn't believe that this was true until I went to my uh, children's school, their elementary school, and the teachers started talking about how now there are different standards in math and uh, what English, I guess, for students of different races. So parents, make sure you know the standards for your particular situation. I couldn't believe it. You know, why I, you have white supremacists all the time talking about, oh, blacks can't do as well as this. Blacks are inferior and, and people raising all kinds of cane. But now the state of Alabama, the school systems in Alabama are essentially saying blacks are intellectually inferior. Blacks can't do as well as whites. Uh, and that, that nobody, white, black, Hispanic can do as well as the Asian slash Pacific Islanders. And I, I think that's a cop-out. I think that's, that's ridiculous. Uh, it's, uh, you know, on the face of it, it should have been voted down. Uh, but, again, didn't hear anything from black leaders, from black politicians. Uh, they just accepted it. Yes, let's require less of our students. Folks, again... You're not doing anybody a favor by making it easier for them. It's not helping the situation. Oh, yeah, they might pass from grade to grade, but uh, again, it's just making this situation worse of, of uh, uh, social, you know, passing them on because, well, they've been in third grade now for two years. Let's go ahead and pass them on to fourth grade. Or they've been in ninth grade for two years. Let's go ahead and pass. Can they read? No. Can they do math? No. Do they know basic history? No. Basic science? No. But, you know, ninth graders are, are, what, 13 and 14 years old, and they're now 16 and 17, so let's just go ahead and pass them on to 10th grade. Graduate with a high school diploma, and they can't read. They can't function in a high-tech society and end up doing what? Being on welfare. Requiring the assistance of the government to get them through day to day or, or working menial jobs and, and not having a, uh, much of a future where they can uh, get a good job, earn a, a good living, climb up the ladder in, in the corporate ladder, make more and more money or, or maybe have the uh, – uh, picked up the skills, the abilities, the knowledge to start their own businesses. And it's just – it's pathetic. This is – it is, from my point of view, this is a pathetic law, pathetic uh, thing that the state of Alabama and the school systems, public school systems in Alabama have done. And uh, I'm going to call my politician and see 
you know, what is with this and can we get this reversed? Because, again, I don't think this helps anybody. It doesn't help blacks. It doesn't help whites. It just makes it easier for uh, teachers to pass more and more people, more and more kids on up the ladder who are not receiving the education that they need to receive. Um, So I'm going to look more into this. Maybe we'll have another program on this in the future. But I just, oh, my goodness. Anyway, um, one other thing. How much time do we have? About a minute? Well, I'm not going to be able to get into this. But I wanted to touch on an article about Roderick Scott. You've probably never heard of him. But uh, I'll, I'll maybe next show or future show be talking about him. Uh, he was basically, um, you know, the, the Trayvon Martin case uh, with uh, George Zimmer. Uh, he was basically George Zimmer. And this was a case a few years before George Zimmer and Trayvon Martin. The difference was is that Roderick Scott was black and the teenager that he shot and killed was white. Bet you never heard of that, did you? All right, well, we're going to talk about it here. That's the kind of thing we do here on Balaam's Ride, the edge of Catholic radio. Hopefully touch on things that you haven't heard about. Um, Do some things regarding Catholic faith, apologetics, but uh, get into some other things as well. Politics, uh, morality, economics, and, and so forth. Done a little bit of that today. Hopefully you've enjoyed it, and hopefully you'll continue listening. You're listening again. This is uh, WQOH. 1480 a.m. in Birmingham and online at queenofheavenradio.com. This is John Martinoni, and this is Balaam's Ride. Have a great week. God bless.